you, Lord. You know, last, uh, uh, last week, who was here last week? Raise up your hand for me so I can see. So last week, uh, we continued our series on the manifest presence of God. And last week, we talked about the glory cloud and the divine precipitation. How many remember that? If you didn't hear it, go back and listen. I believe you'll be encouraged. I was praying this week, though, in the office. Uh, I think it was on Monday. I text some of our team this, and um, I was just overwhelmed with, with just the, the fire of God's presence and his love. And I was in my office, and this doesn't happen very often because I don't like to, you know, um, I've learned that when, when I hear, like, numbers and, you know, turn the page, whatever, or like just open your Bible anywhere. Sometimes it's totally not prophetic. (laughs) Hello. And sometimes it is, but I'm praying and I felt in my spirit, the Holy Spirit says, open up this book to page 37. And it was this book I haven't touched in months. This Azusa street book. How many have ever read this book right here? And so I opened it up and, uh, I opened up to page 37 and, and so I was expecting to see something and I'm praying for the church and I'm praying for, and this was just the day after I preached about this divine precipitation and, and this, uh, uh, this, this cloud of glory that comes and creates a revival as, as normal um, through the people of God. As we come together, we all contain the, the glorious presence of God. But when we come together, that cloud just gets, that humidity uh, gets more intense, if you will. So check this out. I'm reading and I jump page 37. Can I read this to you real quick? This has nothing to do with the message, but it's, it's cool. So, and there goes Suri interrupting. Suri, I'm not talking to you. Leave me alone. Okay. Man, she's not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. She really could learn. So he writes about the revival in Azusa Street. If you don't know anything about the Azusa Street revival, you've got to, you've got to check it out. Uh, go through our school. We talk about some of the revivals that have taken place in the last few centuries. This is one of them. And so it's just after the Welsh revival, which he mentions, Evan Roberts was kind of the pioneer of the Welsh revival. And this is the Zoo Street Revival that started in Los Angeles. And here's what it says. The current revival is sweeping by our door. We will cast ourselves on its mighty bosom and ride to a glorious victory. A year of life at this time with its wonderful possibilities for God, it's worth a hundred years of ordinary life. Can you say amen? Pentecost is knocking at our doors. The revival for our country is no longer in in a question. Now let that settle in where we are right now. I don't know about you, but I saw a video that somebody posted of some worship that was going on in the White House this week that was some of the most spirit-filled worship. Eddie James, who knows who Eddie James is, he posted, and there's all, I'm telling you, something is happening I don't care if you like or dislike the president or his administration or what political party you affiliate with. Let's just stop and say, hold on. I identify as a citizen of the kingdom first. So I'm going to say yes to heaven. It might not come out the way we think it's going to come out, but I'm telling you might not look like the way we think it should look like, but let's just say yes to heaven. So he's talking about a revival in the country. That's, that wasn't my point, but He goes on, the revival for our country is no longer a question. Slowly but surely, the tide has been rising until the very near future. We believe for a deluge of salvation that will sweep all before it. Wells will not not stand alone in this glorious triumph for Christ. He's talking about the Welsh revival. 
The spirit of reviving is coming upon us, driven by the breath of God, the Holy Ghost. Listen, you ready? If you didn't hear last Sunday sermon, then this won't mean as much to you, so you can go back and listen, but if you did, check it out. The clouds are gathering rapidly, big with a mighty rain whose precipitation lingers but a little. Come on, somebody. So that was just a really cool confirmation, man. Go back and listen. I truly believe it's a word for us and understanding the uh, the participation and what happens when we experience the presence of God together is really, really powerful. So, amen. All right, uh, we're going to read from Luke 22, and I'm going to be reading from the Passion, and we're continuing our series on the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. This is going to take a little bit uh, different direction this morning, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Look at the person next to you say, this is going to be fun. Some of you are very enthusiastic when he said that. So God bless you. Okay. Luke chapter 22, we're going to be reading in the passion translation. Are y'all ready? I'm going to read the Bible this morning. You're in church. So stick with me. When Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all of the apostles. Can you say amen? He told them, I've long with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. I promise you that the next time we eat this, we will be together in the banquet of God's kingdom realm. Then he raised a cup and gave thanks to God and said, take this and pass it on to the other and drink. I promise you the next time we drink this wine, say drink this wine. wine. Jesus turned water into wine. Come on, somebody. It wasn't Welch's grape juice. Okay, that was just for the sipping saints. We'll keep moving on here. We will be together in the feast of God's kingdom realm. And then he lifted up a loaf. He lifted up the bread and he prayed and thanked God. And he said, uh, he gave to each of the apostles a piece of bread and said, this loaf is my body, which is now being offered to you. Eat it to remember me. And then it says, after supper was over, He lifted the cup, and then he said what the cup represented. This cup is my blood of the new covenant I will make with you, and it will be poured out soon for all of you. Those of you that like the subject of atonement, notice the blood is for us, not for the Father. God is not bloodthirsty. We needed the blood to heal and cleanse and save us. Amen. You can just chew on that and uh, have your theology wrecked later. Then it goes on. I want to jump to verse 25. Actually, verse 24. Then the disciples were bickering over which one of them would be considered the greatest in the kingdom. That never happens in church, does it? We don't ever fight about who's the greatest and my title trumps your title. I'm the head usher. I am the senior pastor. You're just the community pastor, Travis. Happy birthday. But we don't ever do that, right? Titles mean nothing to us. It's all about the function, not about the title. Amen. Okay. Verse 25. Jesus interrupted their argument. I love that. That's a good word. He says, the kings and men of authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects, claiming that they do it for the good of the people. They're obsessed with how others see them. But this is not your calling. Can you say that out loud? Say, this is not your calling. 
Then he goes on, he says, you will lead by a different model. The greatest among you will live as one called to serve even without being honored. That was a good whistle. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant heart. Oh man, I wanna, I wanna have a servant heart. Then he goes on, the leaders who are served the most are important in your eyes, but in the kingdom, it is the servants who lead. Am I not here with you as one who serves, the Lord says. Can you say amen? amen? Close your eyes and let's pray real quick, then we're gonna jump right into this. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for a revelation. I pray for encounter. I thank you for your presence. Lord, we are so grateful for the worship community, the leadership. We thank you for Pastor Chris and his wife and all of the worship leaders and the psalmists. And we thank you for every parishioner, every saint. Lord, we are so honored to be a part of this community and what you're doing. And we open our hearts to your word. I pray for revelation, for great transformation. Uh, we posture ourselves to receive. And Lord, would you just use me uh, to declare and speak boldly and assertively truth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Could you shout out amen and then just give God praise? Come on. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to just point out three things that I see in the text. Um, and, then, and we're going to just go for it and talk a little bit about it. And, and I'm excited about this because, it, you know, when we talk about the presence of God, usually we, we lead into, you know, like our experience of the presence of God and our encounters, which how many of that's really important. Um, but, but I want to talk about some practical things that happen in our life as we experience the presence of God together. Uh, and so this is going to be fun. Now, the first thing I want you to, if you want to jump up to verse 14, I'm going to just open up with point number one. We're going to talk about this. In verse 14, the Bible says, when Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all of the apostles. Say this with me. Take your place at the table. Point number one, take your place at the table. Now, this is a really uh, good topic for the holiday season because it's important that you know that not only every single one of you have a place at the Father's table, but when we discover that inclusion of the heart of God and that acceptance that he just loves us and he welcomes us to feast on his goodness and his love, that that should cause us to open up our tables to the broken and to the hurting, come on, and to those that are rejected. How many know the holiday season, for a lot of people, it can be like rough times, you know? And, and sometimes we belittle it, the reality of that for some people, and sometimes I think we stigmatize it. And then we fall our, find ourselves in a funk and depressed. We don't even know why we're depressed. And I wanna encourage you, that yeah, you might go through those times, but listen, the love of God can, can bring that solitary uh, pain that you feel and drag you into his heart by sitting at a table with the family of God and loved ones around you. Come on, somebody. It's so important that we look for somebody that we think, you know what? I, listen, sometimes I think we presume like, oh, you know, they have a place to go on Christmas, you know? Pastor and Zach, now this is passive aggressive to everyone here. 
Y'all haven't invited me over for Christmas in like eight years. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm mad. No, I'm just playing. Don't presume, though, that someone gets an invitation for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. Hello, are you all with me? Let's have open hearts to welcome people at our table. There is healing at the table. There's, there's so much power at the table. And the first thing I see in here is that Jesus and the apostles took their place at the table. Now, how many are, are like me and Thanksgiving and Christmas comes around? Who's ready for Christmas, by the way? Come on, somebody. Who put up their tree on Thanksgiving? Who put up their tree after Thanksgiving? Who put up their tree before Thanksgiving? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like Will Ferrell and Elf. Santa, it's Santa, it's Santa. Elf is one of the top five Christmas movies to watch every year. Come on, somebody. So is Die Hard. That's not a Christmas movie. Debatable. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, how many, how many make way too much food? How many eat way too much food? Let's lift our hands to the Lord and repent. No. <laughs> so we're guilty of this. Not only are we guilty of that, but we often are not fans of leftovers. I don't know if you're with me or not, but especially Thanksgiving, I had this thought like every time, like when you, when you eat Thanksgiving, I mean, who loves like home-cooked gravy? Oh, randa shakarabaha. I feel the spirit of prayer coming on me right now. How many love, and you think about what great, you put it on the potatoes and then you put it on the, put it on the, you notice I'm kind of hungry right now. Okay. Put it on the turkey and then you just put it on the stuffing, put it on everything. I just want a bowl of gravy. I'm so hungry. I thought gravy was a beverage. Come on, somebody. But when you, when you put the gravy in the fridge overnight and you pull it out, it's not so appetizing. It's like a big cube of lard, because that's literally what gravy is. Can we all pray for our arteries right now? God was unclogging prophetic anointings. Now he's literally, Lord, just unclog this ticker. So we have this thing though in our house. We don't really like leftovers. <clears throat> and you know, it's funny because it, it's easy. You just put it in the microwave, right? Thank God for microwaves. My dad actually knows the guy who invented the microwave. I think he's passed away. Isn't that cool? I'm just name dropping. His last name is Watkins. That's all I know. He lives in Colorado somewhere, if he's still alive. But the microwave is a great invention. How many remember this, the era where, now I don't barely remember this because I'm so young, praise God, but where TV dinners were the thing, like you TV dinners, and they came out with the trays, and, you, and those trays were so cool because you could sit and watch cartoons, because I was a kid when this was, and the, but the trays were so flimsy. And you'd pinch your fingers in them and they fall over. Who remembers those TV trays? Who still has them? Some people still have you, Nana, you would still have them. Yeah. God bless you. The Lord bless your TV trays. So there's a whole season where, you know, what's for dinner? I don't know what's in the freezer because we'll just throw that thing in the microwave. Glory to God. Do I need water? Am I sounding kind of thirsty up here? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate that. It's interesting though, now I was gonna show a picture of our refrigerator, but my wife said, no, don't, it's embarrassing. I took a picture of our fridge uh, just after Thanksgiving and I sent it to our family thread and it's literally, it's, it's embarrassing. It's just packed full of just 
I mean, like, you can't even tell, like, what is that? When is that? Is that all these leftovers? Who's a fan of leftovers? Who's not a fan of leftovers? Who likes fresh cooking? Come on, somebody. And it's sad because, like, only an American fridge, right? And, you know, there's people starving. And one of the things in the Philippines, we love the, the Filipino people. When you eat there, nothing wasted, nothing wasted. But then in my house, like, I've just, I, we, we're constantly repenting. Amen. <laughs> but how many know that, that the concept of microwave has crept into our spirituality? Like, you know, point number one, sit at the table. But the big question is, what's for dinner? Because we, we want, like, we want a feast, but... But the reality is we want everything microwave. We want everything here and now. We want a microwaved healing. And I'm not saying that it's not God's will to heal. That's not what I'm saying at all. Like we even talk about like freedom and deliverance and, and, and you know, the healing of our heart wounds and like, oh, we declare I'm healed. Or we're on the other spectrum. We're like, I'm so broken and I'm always crying. And like, it's okay to weep sometimes. And it's okay to declare, yes, in one sense, you're whole. There's a completion. But in another sense, you're going to miss out on some healing on the journey because you want to put your spiritual healing in the microwave. And that's not how it works in the cosmos. That's not how God created it. I mean, we want a healing, uh, throw our healing in the microwave. We want microwave love, right? We just want to put on our love and like, oh, I love you, brother. And we don't even know each other. We don't even like fellowship with each other. Hello. Come on. We still are offended at each other, but I love you, brother. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. You are lying. Hello. It's the microwave spiritual thing that we got going on. We want microwave revelation. We just want to all of a sudden be a theologian. Glory to God. We want to be smarter than the pastor. That will never happen. I'm just playing. I'm just messing with you guys. We want microwave revelation. We just want it all right now. You know, uh, we want microwave relationships. Like we just, oh, we're BFFs, best friends forever. <laughs> Text your BFF right now and say, I just was feeling this when pastor said that. Text him right now, go ahead. How many know that you don't become best friends by saying we're BFFs? It, there is trial yes. and time yes. and persecution. And choosing to love through broken times and forgiving when that person is going to hurt you and choosing not to be offended and letting go of the spirit of offense. Come on, somebody. The first point is let's take our place at the table and let's not have this microwave mentality, but let's sit at the table and take our time. Notice that Jesus, I'm going to bring up in a moment a little bit more, but Jesus talks about the wine and the bread. It's in that order in Luke for some reason. It's a different perspective. But then it says, after supper, he explained what the wine was for. After dialogue and after open-heartedness and who knows how long that went on. And then it was like, take this seriously. This is the cup of my blood. We've got to come to the table and slow down and take things seriously and not think that we're just going to have this microwave restoration in our life, microwave healing and microwave relationships. And how many know that relationships, like when you get married, it's not just like all of a sudden we're in love and it's like we're this couple that's been together for 50 years. How many know it doesn't work that way? 
Now, it's not for everybody. I came into my marriage with some baggage. My wife has been perfect the whole time. Praise God. Amen. But I came into the marriage with some baggage and our first few years of marriage were like hell on earth because of me, because I needed to repent, but I got saved. Come on, somebody, a little testimony. And now our marriage is perfect. What? It's not perfect. You know that. But how many know, like, it's, it's a strong marriage because of difficult times. We want to skip the process when the process is the whole thing that makes us what we are. We want to just put our, compartment our lives and just put it in the spiritual microwave and doop. The other day, my wife put popcorn and the microwave was tripping. It was like, it's not popping the popcorn. And she had to add minutes to it and... But we do the same thing with God gives us a prophetic word and oh, hallelujah. And we're just like marinating in the prophetic. Pastor said, release the prophetic. So you're expecting just prophesy to dry bones and you walk out of this place. But listen, that word needs to be watered and loved and that seed needs to be cultivated. Come on, somebody. And this mentality, we just got to get rid Now, I'll be honest with you. I like to cook. You know, I like, and even when I'm tired, I'll cook. Because I just like to, I like to let things marinate. Who likes to saute food? Oh, Randa Shaka. I'm thinking about food again. Don't be distracted in Jesus' name. Now, it's interesting to me. Uh, oh, one thing I left out is we want microwave promotion. The devil tried to get me to skip that part, but I, the Holy Spirit drew my eyes back to my notes. How many know uh, when, you, when you love to do something and you're good at it, you're probably called to do it. But sometimes we don't, know, we don't know really what our passion is because we don't know who we are. And, and I wrote this down and I want to I say this. When our passion and our gift are one, um, our life is great. But when they're not one, we will be miserable and tired because we're trying to be and do what we're not created to do. And when we take our place at the table, we are literally taking our place in the body of Christ. This is who I am, and this is what I bring, and we all do our share. Now, when I encounter the presence of God, it doesn't just make me do spiritual things, what we say is spiritual, like, you know, I'm prophesying, I'm doing, no, it, it, it helps me take my place. It helps me be who I'm created to be in the body um, so that we can do what we're called to do as a body. Can you say amen? Uh, now, one of the things that I wrote down here is we don't know who we are, so we try to reinvent ourselves. Now, I found, literally, I found so much of my Christianity was a waste of my own time because I'm trying to be somebody else. And most of the time, we're trying to be somebody because we don't know we're already somebody. Like, we just don't know who we are. And again, sometimes we just belittle the treasure and the gifts that God's given us. And you are unique and fearfully and wonderfully made. You are significant. Nobody has your DNA. Nobody has your fingerprint for a reason. Because the Father looks at you and says, you are my unique, beloved son and daughter. And I have something unique. I have unique spices. Uh, who's spicy in here? Come on, somebody. I have quality spices that I've only given to you and I've added my oil, the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's the fragrance he wants to release out of your life. Yes. Yeah. Point number two, 
I, I'm looking at the text. Uh, it, it, Jesus goes on and he says, uh, he raises the bread and the cup and he says, partake, this is my body. Point number two is let's partake of him. Can we say it together? Partake of him. Slow down, take it in. What, what do we mean when we say that? Uh, like, what do we mean when we say, let's receive him, receive his presence? When we receive, like, and we're encountering God and, and we're in worship and we're lifting our hands or somebody prays for us or whatever, um, we're literally receiving God himself, the life of God, the presence of God. Not just goosebumps and, uh, you know, like uh, an experience. I think sometimes we will, um, we belittle the third person of the Trinity to just an experience. When the Holy Spirit is God and deserves our worship and our sensitivity and our yieldedness and our adoration. And we have to make sure that we don't allow, as we partake of his presence, we don't allow little, uh, little offenses to come up, little bits and pieces of offenses where we, where we hinder the flow of the spirit in our life and in a church community. So I had a dream recently, I was preaching at this church in another state, this is a pastor friend of mine. Now I've ministered at this church before and I got a chance a few years ago to do like an impartation to his leaders. And so I'm preaching and it's, a, it's in a house and, and there's just you know a couple dozen people there and it was a very powerful time. How many know that it's really powerful when our hearts are really engaged together? Sometimes the, the power of God is manifested in a more intense way in a smaller group. And I've learned that because I've learned that it's, it's because of the harmony of our hearts. It's very important that not only do we come on Sunday and have this big firebomb, but we also have little fires all over the place. Come on, in the Starbucks, in the home, and we burn together and we worship together. Amen. And so we're in this home meeting and, and I'm imparting to these leaders and I prophesy over the senior leader and I just feel this heart of the fire of revival in this moment. It was so powerful. And I'm praying and I'm just, all of a sudden my voice changes. And I'm like, fire, you know, it's one of those moments. And, and so I'm prophesying. I said, listen, the temptation is gonna come where you think you're gonna have to rely on a denomination, but you don't need a denomination because all of heaven is behind you. And this thing is about to explode and this is revival and this is reformation and get ready, get ready, get ready. So I lay hands on this guy and this guy is not a manifestation guy. Like he's not a guy that falls over and that shakes and all this. So the guy falls out of his chair and he's curled up like a baby and he's shaking like this <laughs> and he falls off his chair. And later he told me, he's like, dude, that never happens to me. I'm like, I don't know what to say, bro, whatever. Now, how many know, though, that there's something that's powerfully imparted sometimes in those moments, right? And so I have a dream. I'm ministering at this church, and the Lord gives me a word. Now, this church right now is exploding. It has probably quadrupled in size since the last time I've been there. Come on, somebody. It's literally igniting the region that he's in. Now, I don't attribute my prayer to that. I just confirm what heaven was saying. Hello? And... Right now, the church is exploding. So in the dream, the reason I'm telling you this is in the dream, the Lord says, here's what I want you to preach. I want you to preach. And I think the title of the message in my dream was something like this, subtle offenses at the Holy Spirit that kill moves of God. Where a movement turns into a monument because we just 
get these little offenses and we're afraid. But what if we just said, I want to partake of you. Lord, I, I want to receive everything you have for me. How, now, here's the question. How is it going to affect us? What happens after our encounter? What happens after we get up off the floor when so-and-so laid hands on us and we fell out under the power of God? Hello? What happens after we pray in tongues for two hours? Because I think that's what's important. Can I hear you say amen? Now, when we started this series, one of the illustrations we gave you, and this is going to be good. If you didn't hear this, it's powerful. One of them was when we talk about the presence of God, there's the omnipresence of God, right? Who knows what that is? God is everywhere. The air you breathe, wherever you go, in every dark place, come on, on the streets of Fremont, God's right there. In one sense, he holds every subatomic particle together. He's everywhere. And then in another sense, there's the, the manifest presence of God, which you could also say is the experienced presence of God. So there's really no difference between the omnipresence and the manifest presence, except that one is experienced and one is not. One of the illustrations we gave was, what if I said right now, parishioners of Encounter Church Las Vegas, there is a billionaire in your midst. Who in here would be like, who is it? Because I want to be their friend. Come on, somebody. Come on. <laughs> now, it would be one thing. It'd be like me saying, ladies and gentlemen, the presence of God is here. But if you didn't experience that presence, it wouldn't be as real to you. Am I right? Uh, I remember this guy, young man, and we opened up our home for the youth and the, our youth group was just exploding early on in the church plant. And this guy was an atheist raising the church. Unfortunately, that's kind of common, um, but let's just break that. Amen. And so he's raising the church. He's atheist and we're praying over people. And this is how we did youth group back in the day. We'd just be like, read a couple of verses and like, all right, put on some worship. He's like, all right. We're, and then we're like, we're going to pray for you now. We took it seriously. But when we prayed, these kids encountered God. They would come in disrespectful and like, you know, I'm here for the nachos. And then they would end up on the ground crying for 30 to 45 minutes under the power of God. No joke. I'm not embellishing. I'm not over. This is literally what. And this young man, I'm, we're praying over people. And he's like, I'm not going to receive whatever. When, when Pastor Zach touches me, I'm not going to receive it. And so I, I touch his arm. And he said he tried as hard as he could to move and he couldn't move. And he felt this love and this fire and this heat and this power just flood through his body. It's the presence of God. It's powerful. Now, how many know, though, that somebody could be experiencing the presence of God next to you while you're experiencing the presence of God, but then there's someone in the other aisle that's not experiencing the presence of God. So if I said there's a billionaire in your midst, it means nothing to you unless that billionaire, what? Manifests. If a billionaire stood up, come on, say billionaires manifest in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for kingdom prosperity. Now, if that billionaire stood up and he's like, hello, it's me, guys, who imagines a Monopoly guy with like the hat on. He pulls out a big suitcase and big stacks of Benjamins. Come on. And he's throwing them out. Say, God bless you. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And he has a beard just like me. And come on, just get creative. Dream a little with me. Now, how many know in that moment, it would be the reality of the billionaire being in our midst, but now we receive what his generosity, come on, his giving, who he is would become real to us. In the same sense, when we are in the presence of God, we receive. Now, what would happen though? What would happen if you received 
that money, if you will. If in the presence of God, when you're receiving, when you're partaking of him, what is some of the things that happen? I want you to just reflect with me just for a minute and not forget what the blood of Jesus has accomplished for us. Last week during the 11 a.m., we started singing about the blood and we had an altar call. How many remember that moment? It was a holy moment. But how many can, can just think with me for a minute? How many remember the moment that you said yes to the love of God and the blood of Jesus, the precious, sinless blood of Jesus washed over your life and removed that burden of sin and washed that guilt? Come on, took away your pain, wiped away every stain. Are you with me this morning? How many remember? Let's not forget when we partake of him we are receiving healing we are receiving that cleansing come on we're receiving that forgiveness into our life in Ephesians chapter 2 I'm glad there's one person over here on this side the anointed section that feels me right now come on somebody Ephesians 2 verse 13 through 15 in the passion yet look at you now look at the person next to you say look at you now everything is new Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. Say sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. All reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By a, as our dying sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice. Come on, someone shout hallelujah. That separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Can we give God just a shout of praise right now? And thank God that he doesn't love one nation over one nation, one race over another race. We are one human race in Christ Jesus. That is the heart of God. I love kicking down the, the, the evil, demonic. I love tearing down these demonic walls of racism that are in the church. I ain't got no time for that. Come on, somebody. I don't see that way. I don't think that way. I don't feel that way. I, I'm so thankful that we are in a church. Come on, that there's color in this building, that there is every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I want more. I want more Filipino people in this place. Come on. I want more African-American people in this place. And maybe a couple more Caucasian. But, you know, we got plenty. So come on, Lord. Just open up. And listen, one of the reasons that our hearts, one of the reasons that our churches are predominantly one race is because our heart is open to predominantly one race. But when we partake of him, we realize we ain't got no more time for that. We're new. All these walls have come down. I'm new in Christ. God doesn't love one nation over another. He loves the world. He loves humanity. He loves people. We're all valuable and precious in his sight. Verse 15, ethnic hatred has been dissolved. Would you shout it with me? Say ethnic hatred has been dissolved. The Bible says by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. Don't forget what the blood of Jesus has done. The legal code that stood condemning Every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity, Jews and non-Jews fused together. Can you say amen? amen? When we partake of his presence, this is the kind of stuff that happens. The Azusa Street Revival was marked not only as a powerful Pentecostal uh, early 1900 move of God, but it was one of the first times in 
a long time that you had different cultures and races coming together and worshiping in the same building in Los Angeles, California. Study the revival. You know, William Seymour, African-American, blind, one eye, he, had, he was blind in one eye. He was the, one of the catalysts of Pentecost, one of the catalysts of this move. And James Bartleman, a white brother, and they, and they were homies, man. They pioneered this move of God. This was unheard of. Both communities were, were disrupted, their, their religious system, their ideology. We got to let God disrupt our ideology. Let's let God disrupt our political ideology. Oh, I could stay right here for a little while and I might get mean. Because I don't like when Christians belittle what the blood has done. I don't like when, when we, as the people of God, identify with a political party before we identify as citizens of heaven and the kingdom of God. If we are united under the reign and the lordship of Jesus, we cannot be divided under the reign of an empirical system or nation or president, hello, or ideology. God help us to know what the blood is Jesus and receive all of you because something happens when we experience God. I'm gonna tell you, when I drink in living water, my, my eyes change. I look at my wife differently. I look at my children differently. I become who I was created to be as a son. I begin to love. And listen, I have no business as a pastor ministering to you if I'm not loving my wife and my kids. And if I exalt ministry over my family, it's bass backwards. I didn't say the A word. There's way too much of that that goes on. And, and I don't have a perfect marriage. I don't have a perfect family. Trust me, my family's crazy. Especially the ones I'm married into. Praise God. No, I'm just playing. Praise God. Jesus, I repent. That, that's disrespectful. <laughs> How many know, though, that if our marriages, if we're not loving, like if we, if we don't love ourselves, we can't love other people. Don't forget with the blood. Partake of him. Partake of him. Receive. Receive his body. Receive his blood. And when we take communion together, y'all, it's not just juice and a cracker. Mystically, it's the presence of God. Mystically, you're receiving that cleansing blood. Oh, the blood that washes us white as snow. Point number three, and I see it in the, uh, in the and I'll be closing with this last point. It's a three-point sermon. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Lastly, this is, this is amazing to me that, uh, you know, the disciples start arguing over which is the greatest. They just had the institution of what we call the Lord's Supper, this profound moment in John 13, uh, the, the record, the same story, different perspective. John writes that he washed all of their feet. Jesus, God incarnate, humbled himself and took the lowest place of a servant, which was a foot washer, and said, this is how I want you to live with each other. Then Judas walks out the door and guess what comes out of Jesus's mouth? Not gossip, not slander, not passive aggressive stuff on Facebook. Come on, somebody. He says, this is how you'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Jesus said it right after he was cut, man. Right after he was stabbed in the back that came out of our Lord's mouth. 
And the disciples, after this holy moment, who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest, James and John. You know, we're all, and we always do it. Like, well, what about my title? I am the, I am the senior pastor. I trump the community pastor. Happy birthday, Travis. Right? Like, we always... It's not about our title. It's about our function. And Jesus, the Bible says in verse 25, he interrupts their argument. I love that. That's a good word. Let's start praying those prayers. Lord, interrupt our religious political BS. Come on, somebody. Lord, interrupt this behavior that we have. It's literally like, it's primal. It's not healthy. It's toxic. Interrupt our gossip, interrupt our slander. Have you ever been in a conversation? Listen, I'm guilty of this. And then all of a sudden the conversation goes the wrong way and you start talking bad about somebody that's not present and you feel grieved in your spirit. Have you ever been there? Be aware of those moments. Be aware of those moments. And may we, as the people of God, learn that that's not what we're called to do. And it goes on and Jesus interrupted their their conversation and he says listen i know that you think your version of authority is is what you see in the world the way that the gentiles lord domineering authority control don't equate power to control now that can go a long way in our relationships just because we're in charge or we try to control something usually rooted because we're afraid. It doesn't mean we're powerful. Actually, how powerful was God when his arms were stretched on the cross? That was God flexing his muscles. I forgive you. I love you. I take all your sin. It was God in the hands of angry sinners and he forgave us and shed his blood for us. And Jesus interrupts their argument, says that's not how we roll. And this is what I want to close with. Point number three, I'll read you. It take, uh, that was point number one. Say yes to the call. Say it out loud with me. Say yes to the call. I want to read just these couple of verses here. He goes on and he says, uh, the rulers of, of the world, they're obsessed with how others see them, but that's not your calling. Can we say that together? That's not my calling. I will lead by a different model. Say it with me. I will lead by a different model. And Jesus says, the greatest among you will live as one called to serve others without honor. Imagine if we served and said, I don't need to be honored. I remember when I first became a pastor, it felt so good when somebody called me pastor. When they said my name without saying pastor, I'm like, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm Pastor Zach, not Brother Zach. I'm not a monk, I'm a priest, praise God. Now, how many know that that stuff gets to our head, though? This is what Jesus was addressing. It's, it, listen, we've said it for years, 10 years as a church. If we're looking for power or position, we're not ready for either. We can't handle it. And he says, those that are called to serve and don't care about honor, that's the greatest among you. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant heart, the one who has a servant heart. The leaders who are served are most important in your eyes, but in the kingdom, it's the servants who lead. Jesus says, am I not here with you as a servant? And I remember in John's account, in John's account, he uh, washes their feet. 
the humility of God. Now, I want to say this in closing. I want you to think about something with me, okay? Who has ever thought about if I could just go back and be a disciple and eat with Jesus and sit around the fire, come on, and be there at the Sermon on the Mount and hug the Savior? And I mean, come on, who's ever thought of that? I don't know about you, but I've thought about it dozens of times. And, and sit at a table and feast. Like in this, in this holy moment in the upper room, can you imagine being there? Looking into the eyes of Jesus. I mean, like just think about the passion. Someday we're all gonna see him in his eyes. Come on, we're gonna look at him. We're gonna, he will hold it. He's still in a glorified physical body ascended into heaven. When I think about this passion I used to have to wanting to be one of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, I wanna be there when they're laughing, when they're crying, I wanna be there watching Lazarus come out of the tomb, still got grave clothes on, can barely walk. I wanna be there, I wanna see it firsthand. You remember Jesus said, blessed are those that's, that believe but haven't seen. I wanna say this to you. When we talk about experiencing the presence of God, when we say yes to the call, what's the call? See, we've overemphasized this term calling. We've attributed it to it's my destiny and my calling. We've idolized it and made a sacred cow and individualistically owned it to where it's all about us. And it's like, well, that's not what I'm called to do, brother, sister, hello? Do you know what our number one call is? To serve and to love. And as we encounter the presence of God, that's what should be coming out of our lives, serving and loving. So let me say this, the passion that you had, or you've had or have, to wanna to be one of the disciples, and you can keep that passion, it's beautiful. I just wanna, you watch the passion of the Christ, can you imagine being there? I mean, think, Travis, can you imagine being John? You've imagined it before. You've prayed before and just proverbially, you just rested your head on the heart of the Savior. Can you imagine Rochelle being Mary, sitting at his feet? And I'm Martha, I'm cooking because I like to cook. Come on, somebody, I'm making a Mediterranean pizza. Put that hummus on there, shokorabara, some olives. And I'm crying, I'm really hungry. Listen. What Jesus was to the disciples, the Holy Ghost is to you. Take that passion that you have. Say, wait a minute, I've got the helper. Jesus said, it's, it's, it's to your prophet that I go because now you can all do greater works because I'm gonna be with all of you. His spirit is with you. I'm gonna send the promise of my father who proceeds from the father. And it says, he's the helper. He's the one to come alongside. He's the one that will guide you in all truth. Come on, he will lead you. He will guide. He's gonna help disciple you now along with leaders, along with those that I've raised up, the 12, to multiply, to reproduce who they are. But how many know what Jesus was to the disciples, the Holy Spirit is to you. So when you say yes to the call, you're saying yes to be a servant, but learn of the master. Allow the Spirit of God to teach us to wash one another's feet. Holy Spirit, pour out this humble divine love that creates something in me where my heart begins to beat like the heart of the Father, where I see people 
especially during the season. I see broken people. I see lost. I see people that are around me, people that sometimes I don't see, people that I see them, but I don't see them. You know, as a husband, sometimes I see my wife, but I don't see her. Hello? As a father, I see my kids, but sometimes I don't see them. I want to see them. I want to love with humble love. I want to be what Jesus says, that leader that, that serves, that, that, just, that just loves and serves. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. The Holy Spirit teaches us to serve this forgotten core value that we should be people that serve to love, not love to serve. Oh, you say, what's the difference? A lot of times we love to serve because I'm serving to get promotion instead of I'm serving because I love. Come on. I receive that into my life, Father. I want to serve just because I love, not because I'm going to get promoted, not because I'm going to put my walk in a, in a microwave and all of a sudden I go from pastor to bishop. I go from 400-member congregation to 4,000, praise God. Microwave Christianity. Hello? God help us and teach us to love like Jesus. Colossians 4.17, Paul is encouraging a leader in the church. Tell Archippus, he says, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I encourage you right now, as the New King James says, take heed to the ministry you've been called to that you may fulfill it. You say, well, I don't know what that is. I, I'm called to ministry, pastor. Yeah, we're all called. We're all called to say yes, to serve, and to love. Can you say amen? amen. Humble love always manifests to lift someone else up higher. When we talk about, uh, in, in closing here, we're gonna pray, and I wanna pray for, for you. I'm so glad you uh, don't make me feel rushed to, to share what's on my heart. The whole reason of this series is not just so we understand what the manifest presence of God is, but we understand the working of the Spirit in our life. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, and sometimes we'll attribute uh, manifestations and experiencing and encountering God with just just the powerful part of it instead of like, okay, now that I've got slain in the Spirit, I stand up, I should be loving my wife better. Hello? And as we encounter God and we say yes to the call, we talk about having the heart of God. Who's ever heard of that before? We talk about, God, give me your heart. Now, I want to close with this understanding. When we say that, we're talking about two things. We're talking about the purpose and intent of God, and we're talking about the passionate love of God. So when you pray, God, give me your heart for people, you're saying, God, give me your thoughts, intents, and purpose. Let me see with your eyes, and then give me your passionate, fiery love the same fiery love that any parent in here has for their children that will go to any lengths to rescue them if they're in distress. And that love doesn't originate from you, it originates from the Father. And that love that you have, parent, mom, dad, it's, not, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the love that the Father has for us. But we pray, God, give me your heart. So as we participate, as we receive this, the presence of God, we come to the table, we take our place at the table, we partake of him, everything you have, Holy Spirit, everything you have for us, and we say yes to the call. And the call is not some individualistic thing, it is I'm called to love and to serve. It's so simple. That's really what ministry is. Wanda, 
You're a perfect example of that. You are, come on church, if you know who I'm talking about right now. A beautiful example of that. And so are many of you were here yesterday. How many ladies were at the ladies' tea? Wasn't it amazing? Every woman of God that shared, my wife and every sister, it was so powerful. I was blown away. So much wind of heaven. And uh, there were some really good beard balms sold in the back too. If you know anyone with a beard, you got to get some of that urbanbalm.com. Shameless plug. Wanda was here cleaning and mopping longer than anyone else. And I'm sitting on that soft chair out there getting convicted. I'm, I'm supposed to be preaching this message and you're living it. Thank you for showing us how to lead as a servant. Come on. Give us that heart, God. And listen, if you're new to the church, you're getting plugged in. My dream is that our serve team becomes the same number as our membership. Come on. When you're all in, you serve, you love, you give, you're like, I'm all in. God, I'm here and I'm ready to love and serve. Our outreach team, come on. You're living this sermon. Can we give it up for our leaders right now? Come on, Kevin and Audrey Fakal and all of those that are leading, Al and Cheryl and all of you, Rod, just God bless you. Where, where are they at? Where's Kevin and Audrey at? Oh my gosh, we brag on you guys all the time. All the time. And I know I tell you that all the time because we're always talking about you. Not slandering or gossiping, we're bragging on you because you're treasures. I remember prophesying over both of you I barely knew you. We were in our house and I saw the leadership anointing on your life. I saw the oil of heaven in the spirit on both of your foreheads and it wasn't a greasy forehead. It was, it was a heavenly vision. I saw you guys are doing an amazing job. Are you thankful that we get to love and serve one another? And in closing, this is my third closing. Preachers are allowed three. If there's anyone here that has ever experienced that abusive, domineering leadership that Jesus was talking about, as a leader, I repent on their behalf because that's not the Jesus style and that's not the Jesus way. And I spiritually wash your feet with humble love and I pray that you would be whole and healed and you would see that there's hope that the church can display a healthier wineskin for leadership and that control is not equate to power. Authority is not equated to control either. So Lord, give us your heart, give us your passion and your purpose for one another and for humanity. Lift your hands with me and pray, would you? Lord, we take our place at the table. We partake of you and we say yes to the call. Would you say yes with me? Oh man, the, the, the oil of heaven is just pouring out right now. I love you, people of God. I bless you. Ten years of pastoring. Lift, keep your hands raised. Please keep praying with me. Ten years of pastoring. The best of times and the worst of times. You don't know what it's like until you pioneer church. And I have no regrets when I look at you. You're worth it to see you come alive in the call of God on your life, to see you blessed, to see your marriages restored and relationships healthy and strong, to see you loving the broken and 
Father, I bless your people. I love your sons and daughters. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the new members. I'm thankful to the ones that haven't even got here yet. I'm thankful for every faithful person. Some of y'all have been here for years and years and years. I bless you. Bless your faithfulness. And when, it, when you don't feel like I acknowledge it, trust me, my heart resonates that you're significant, you're a treasure, you belong, and we bless you. Father, I pray for healing right now. I pray for those that have felt uh, abused by spiritual authoritarian leadership and religious politics and all that. I just pour in right now. I release healing oil, and Lord, I thank you right now that their feet are being washed in the name of of Jesus, I just pray right now, anyone that's resonating with what I'm saying, that that burden would just be lifted off of you right now. In Jesus' name, I command that burden, go. In Jesus' name, thank you. Would you just, uh, somebody that's nearby, put your hand on their shoulder and would you just say, I release God's love over you. And just pray with, say, Lord, we say yes to the call. Teach us to love and serve in our marriages, in our family, in the, in the community. Teach us to, to wash the feet of the broken, Lord. Give us your heart in this holiday season. We don't want one person not to feel significant or loved. Open our hearts as we open our arms to one another and to humanity. We thank you. Would you just pray in the Holy Spirit with me just for a minute? Come on, pray, pray just for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment. Thank you, Father. God, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't want to bypass the process, Lord. Teach us to love. I want to read a few verses in, in my fourth closing real quick. Okay, I promise this is it. Maybe, I don't know. Real quick, Philippians chapter two. This is so profound. Verses one through five. Close your eyes and hear the heartbeat of the apostle Paul to the church that he loved. Look how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with this comforting love. You've experienced, I can't even read this because the tears. Can I have some tissue, baby? Thank you, Lord. Is there some nearby? Thank you. Somebody give me a tissue. Glory to God. Thank you. This is so profound. This, this literally is my entire message. Look how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with this comforting love. You've experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit. Hear me. And have felt his tender affection and mercy. Paul says, so I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity. Close your eyes, receive this. With one heart, with one passion, and united in one love, walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free 
from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first in view of others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And then he concludes and says, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Wow. Can we just seal it with praise? Let your heart, your mindset become our motivation. Father, we thank you for your love and what you're doing in us now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One more shout and just thanks to God for the word. Honey, would you come up and properly dismiss everybody? Thank you so much.